0: Hello.
2: Do you like professional wrestling? Oh, we like professional wrestling, too. This is Shake Them Ropes. Jeff Hawkins, along with Chris Novembrino. This week, Royal Rumble, Ice Cold Takes, Vengeance, Uh, Previews, all the news, all the happenings in the world of professional wrestling, and we're on the road to WrestleMania. Chris, how are you?
1: Hawkins, I have something important to tell you. Okay. Today is, is a milestone day. For your boy, boy, Novi.
3: Groundhog Day. Because
1: I'm currently enjoying a liquid beverage uh, that you can get a dispensary around here. And uh, it's uh, it's it's quite potent. Uh, normally, edibles don't hit me. And today's the first time they're really hitting me, Hawkins. What am I supposed to do with that? I, you know what you're supposed to do with that? You're supposed to be happy for me for once. <laughs> you know, I, I sit here. I, I work hard to make my life better, and you can't just be happy for me. Trisha knows it.
2: So I am here with the chemically addled Chris Novembrino.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about wrestling,
0: people.
2: <laughs> uh, just an update on me. I'm currently thawing out. Congratulations to Ron Torbert. The officiating crew and the Kansas City Chiefs. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but yeah, we need to start with some sad news: uh, Lanny Poffo passing away earlier today. Oh, um, yeah, Poffo made his pro debut in 1974 for the short-lived All South Wrestling Alliance before heading to NWA's big time wrestling territory. Along with his father, spent the next decade working for promotions such as Portland Championship Wrestling, Continental. International Championship Wrestling had a short stint in Mid-South before joining WWE in 1985, where we mostly got to know him as Leaping Lanny Poffo, known for reciting poetry and tossing frisbees into the crowd, until he turned heel in 1989 with his uh, genius gimmick, once-defeating WWF champion Hulk Hogan via countout on an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. Uh, after that, he'd signed with WCW in 1995 to take over the George's, gorgeous George gimmick, which uh, which Randy Savage had purchased the rights to, but that never came to fruition. Later on, of course, he, uh, he had an ill-fated stint giving color commentary uh, in New Japan. I don't know. I remember watching that, and that was absolutely dreadful. But let's, oh. remember, the, let's remember the good times. Uh, was retired and living in Ecuador. Uh, no cause of death as yet, but... Uh, yeah, Lanny pop. He was a clean
1: living uh, one, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine it's probably, like, you know, like a stroke or something of that Heart sort. Heart attack,
2: but yeah, Heart no. Attack, um, yeah. I am mostly one of those people who only knows him as uh Frisbee-throwing Nipsey Russell clone or the genius, which Indeed. I really... Yeah. I'm not a fan of the genius character. To be honest with you, I liked him better as frisbees and poetry. To be honest with you, but you, you can't deny that he was a pretty good uh, manager for both the Beverly Brothers and I know Mr. Perfect in that run. Um, as, as annoying as he was, and uh, as as a as a I would call him, I guess, in modern parlance, jobber to the stars. But of course, you don't want to use the term jobber, but you know, you know what I mean. Enhancement talent well, to the I stars. I mean, they never
1: belted the genius.
2: No, but he was I mean, like he was the guy that was like a tier above um you know your your pacey white guys. I mean, he'd get some offense in sometimes he get beat uh usually, usually if he was in a tag match, his partner would be the one to lose. but uh right. I, mean, no, I, always... I,
1: I think the the match where he defeats Hulk Hogan by countout is sort of weirdly the match that made this character at the jobber to the stars tier,
2: oh on the genius character,
1: yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, uh, it look that I, I have heard that match gets cited favorably by people like Cole Cabana in the past. Uh, like it, it apparently was a very impactful match or influential match on people in terms of like, oh, look, there is a way to book a lower tier guy to beat the champion in some way.
2: I always think of him. I mean, I, I remember watching that match. And being a little where
1: he has the board where he says like Hulk goes down or whatever, or Hulk loses. Is yeah.
2: Funny. And, 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 countout count out was applicable because he, he outsmarted Hulk Hogan. So now he's a, uh, now he's a threat to his title, et cetera. I mean, I never bought it to that. No, no but
1: it's, it's also narratively fitting that like a count out victory would go to the genius's head that he thinks that yeah. because he outsmarted Hulk Hogan, that like the, the next obvious thing would be that he would be able to pin him somehow.
2: I would say he was one of the better actors in wrestling, to be honest with you. I, I think, uh, I mean his, his, his flair for showmanship whether oh, babyface or heel.
1: His flair for showmanship I mean, the vo- is rated on the homosexual tropes, dude. Yeah, I know. I, I that's, that's the thing is like, it's kind of hard to disconnect his selling from the fact that his selling is entirely premised on like dandy tropes.
2: Yes. I'm not going to so- deny that
1: no well, it, imagine someone trying to
2: well no but i mean at, at, at the same at now. the at the same time it's a part of professional wrestling too
1: it it is a part of professional wrestling but like i mean i think that basically like after he left babyface leaping lanny poffo behind like i mean that's that's when his standard selling ended and it was all kind of the trope selling from there on out okay I mean, like, think about that Hogan genius match. We get to the atomic drop spots and like the genius is doing like the waving arms thing. And then Hogan's making fun of the waving arms thing. I don't know. Like, I don't think it ages favorably is what I'm trying to say here.
2: No, I I don't think it would. Um, I don't, you know what? I'm actually, they, they signed him and honky tonk man around the same time. WCW around that 95, 96 era. Boy, those guys would have died at death in that company. Oh yeah, I, either that, either that, or you will have gone like Honky Tonk Man beating Dean Malenko in hour one of Nitro.
1: That <laughs> Which... era, that era of heels, sort of went away. Like the Honky Tonk Band. Although the Hockey Talk man was like a coward more than like a, a dandy per se. Right. Um, but, but like all those heels sort of went to the wayside once you entered the era of the cool heel in the mid-90s.
2: Right, and the char- the character heel who couldn't really wrestle kind of went down by the I mean, and not not that Wayne Ferris couldn't wrestle, but you know what I mean.
1: Well, it's mean, was... not that Lady Pavo couldn't wrestle either. But yeah, like the demands of the style that those guys did in the 80s like I don't, you know. By the
2: time the mid nineties came around, I mean, and you had ECW, and they were starting to, you know, get fans hip to the different styles of wrestling in Japan and Mexico. I mean, a, a lumbering WWF style wrestling, where it's like, you know, Greg Valentine can do that for forty minutes in a match, and.
1: <laughs> but like, I guess when we're also thinking about Papo's career, like Pavo, I'm not. <laughs> I'm about to say Bobby Eaton. So I want to be really clear that I'm not. There's an obvious difference between the two men. And I'm aware of this. But Papo's like leaping Lanny Papo style, I think could have adapted into like the WCW first hour demands of the era. Like the television title and all yeah. that sort of thing.
2: I mean, Papo was athletic. I mean, he had, yeah. he had upped. He could have done it. Yeah,
1: and More so than... Uh, the honky tonk man. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, like they essentially already had that covered too with Disco Inferno. If you needed like guy with hair who danced a lot and couldn't really wrestle, you had him. It's like discount honky tonk man.
2: You guys can tag Disco at no.
1: <laughs> oh no, Glenn! Oh, Gubbins. trust
2: me. No, I'm just saying he's been active on the uh on on the Twitter snark of late. Oh, um...
1: you should find me on Twitter and light me up, baby. <laughs> Bring it.
2: Ahead of their quarterly investors call Thursday afternoon, WWE released their reports and tied a company best $1.3 billion in net revenue, an increase of 18% year over year. Their operating income also increased to a record $283.8 million, up 11% year over year. WWE raking in the cash, Chris.
1: Good for them. I don't. I don't know. Like, it, uh, it's, it's like tough tosses <laughs> to me.
2: You know. All right. Like, no, well, you know, this is a, this is a, you know. Great company. If you were on Twitter, company. I could get I could get some feedback on these stories. Um. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that would have been really deep if you had gotten at me on Twitter. Oh yeah, there would, have been, uh, so much, a- there would have been so much more there.
2: AEW house shows set to start in March, in Troy, Ohio. There will be meet and greets and whatnot. But I find this an interesting strategy. Because it could blow up in their face or it could be very, very good. Good. You give some of the younger talent some reps and maybe and and maybe a uh main event with main event talent in there. Um of late, it's mostly been up to uh, some of the lower tier talents to book themselves in. Independent shows, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and some have had that drive to do it. Like I know Red Velvet's been doing it of late. I know that, uh, of course, Darby and all the Defy guys like going to Defy, and of course the PWG people like doing that as well. Um, and I, honestly, as a positive note, I, I do think house shows and meet and greets and trying to get out there into smaller markets and stuff like that. There's there's a little bit of a populist company of the people vibe to it. I just don't know if it's economically viable for this company to have house shows and not have necessarily because I think people are thinking they're going to get a dynamite or a pay-per-view on the road and you're not. So I I mean it's one of those things where they're not even really selling out dynamites all that often. They are occasionally, but it's one of those things where I think, man, it's a it's a risk it's it it's not gonna be happening that often, like they're not gonna be doing it every week and or so. It could theoretically run them afoul of some of the independent organizations that they work with. Um, but, but I see both good and bad in this. What do you think, Chris?
1: A lot of it is dependent on the economics of this and how big they think these shows need to be. In my mind, <laughs> these house shows might need to be in the under 500 range like you're looking to get like five you're booking venues that can you know have 500 people you send out one of your main event talents and you have a show mostly comprised of like your undercard guys going up against some local talents so it's sort of a cost effective show to book because the local talents are you know not nearly uh, as as pricey And you're getting some of your undercard people there working, and you're only having to focus on paying one star to draw there. And you might be able to financially support that and make that make sense. I like the idea of a bit of retail politics here, just going out one person at a time, trying to build the AEW fan base as people who are into wrestling and like, it's kind of like a, or not even into wrestling. They're into AEW. Like they, shaking <laughs> hands like,
2: and kissing babies.
1: They like to go and see an AEW show. Um, yeah. I think to your point, the, the danger here is oversaturation. And that is what I'm going to say is really what's going on here with the lack of dynamite, you know, sellouts as of late. I mean, there've been some, but not, not as not enough as you're suggesting, which says that, like, you got to be careful about how much you're punching some of these markets. Then,
2: yeah, it, it's it's weird because they have a lot of television to fill. They have you know, they have dynamite, they have dark, they have this ring of honor show that's going to be coming up soon. They have uh, rampage and dynamite and dark elevation and dark, and it feels like it's just they're not using the resources. um, to their benefit, they're just putting product out there. And it's not really building from one show to the other, although I will admit they did do something, at least with Red Velvet this week, on I believe it was Dark Elevation, prior to her match with Jade Cargill, to build up the fact that she can beat people by submission, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, they're, they're occasionally doing the little things, but I don't know if the problem is that they're not hitting enough venues you know that's that's the so weird then you know it's like okay am i gonna pay to see anna jay take on one of the renegade twins and uh in a 15-minute match so that she can learn how to work a 15-minute match you know it's one of those things it's like okay how much of a how much of a developmental product can you put out there on the road when people really want to see omega and the bucks that that's the thing that that i'm wondering about
1: yeah i mean i think the other thing is that the shows have to be shorter Uh, i think that these house shows have to be like two hour events you know what i mean
2: (laughs) oh come on a a six hour jam band (laughs) and the string cheese incident will come in and play at (laughs) halftime
1: Uh you know, and yeah, they do look the bucks. Jane Cargo in a
2: sixty-minute Broadway doesn't interest you in any way.
1: I'll put it this way. I don't think the talents that are on the other side of 35 need to necessarily be like making all these house shows. I think this should be like yeah, if you're I gonna agree. be Jungle Boy a star or Darby Allen a star, or you know, whoever a star who's under thirty, then you have to start utilizing them in that way eventually.
2: Yeah. Um yeah, I don't need uh, a best friends match on it. I mean, I know they know how to work and I know they know how to do their match because I watch it every week on rampage. So yeah, I, I would agree there. Uh, <laughs> Gargill, 60 minute Broadway just brought. Yeah. No, let's
1: let, let's give her more time. She's really, she's getting closer. Let's let her work this out.
2: Uh, Kota Ibushi is now a free agent as announced by both Kota and new Japan pro wrestling. He is signed to work GCW events here in Los Angeles during WrestleMania weekend. Kind of fitting in my opinion, because I remember, uh, were you at any of those, uh, matches in Dallas? Yeah, involved? I about saw Koto
1: Bushi uh, at Kaiju Big Battle.
2: Yeah, Kaiju Big Battle. I was there for, I believe it was the, uh, WrestleCon Super Show where he did flips off of a balcony <laughs> at, uh, Oh, what was the name of that venue? That venue was on with the awesome brisket nachos. like this
1: part of his career at some point is going to be a really crazy thing to watch because he's done a lot of
2: really death-defying feats. A lot of people thinking possibly AEW. Some people just thinking he's going to try and open a school in Japan and just kind of lay low and hit some indie dates here and there. Um, I'm going
1: to go another direction. I think he opens up a knickknack store.
2: <laughs> We're all with what?
1: Yeah, okay. I think he. I think he decides that like it's time to do something else because he's Koto Obuchi and he opens up a knickknack store.
2: Well, selling- he is yeah. of a he is of a, a wealthy family, so he could do that if he wanted to.
1: I mean, he might still do matches, but like he could also do option number three, which like like could be anything up to including like working at an aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> You tell me right, you need Ibushi... to stop
2: drinking whatever it is you're no, drinking. No,
1: Kota Ibushi would swim with the dolphins. Are you kidding me?
2: So you think we're going to see Kota Ibushi at SeaWorld,
1: possibly? You, you, you sat next to me, Jeffrey, and watched him wrestle. I believe it was like a doll of some sort, whatever it was. You are telling me that that man wouldn't swim with dolphins.
2: He'd, oh, he'd definitely swim with dolphins. He would definitely
1: swim with dolphins. He that so is working at an aquarium really that far fetched? I just want you to think about it. Mo- not not on right on, now. Man. No, I want you to think about it later. Reflect on it. Okay.
2: I'm gonna try and forget the show as soon as it's done. For uh, <laughs> all this week, two million one hundred fourteen thousand viewers. AEW Dynamite, nine hundred one thousand. NXT five hundred seventy-seven thousand, big number for Raw. No football, of course, but also the show after the Royal Rumble. Any quick thoughts on that, or do you want to just go into it?
1: Yeah, like I mean, the only thought on Raw is that the closing angle of the Royal Rumble was one of the best pieces of business this company has managed to come together in literally years. So, if it was under two million, I would have been like, if it was at like one point five, I've been like damn, really? Because, <laughs> I mean, if that didn't get people talking, I don't know that anything could. It's like the patient is down on the table. So, no, I think this is a good, healthy number um, and deserved.
2: And that'll take us into our ice-cold thoughts on uh, the Royal Rumble hitting the lazy river of wrestling criticism. Uh, I had an interesting experience watching the Royal Rumble because I was watching it in Kansas City. And my brother watched the first hour with me uh, before we went to dinner. It's funny. I went to dinner when Cody came out as number 30 because I go, well, there's your winner. Came back with number 25 or 26 in the Women's Rumble came out. So I hit all the good parts with Rhea, um, Asuka, and uh, Liv Morgan. I, th- I thought that th- those sequences were pretty pretty fun right there. Uh, after getting Nia Jax out. Good God, Nia Jax is back. Um, and, and then, of course, the main event angle. And my brother hasn't watched wrestling in some 20-some-odd years. He'll still talk about, like... He'll reference 80s wrestlers with his friends and stuff. Uh, so I, I, I jotted down some notes while watching. Um, number one, he the only two people in the Royal Rumble he knew were Edge and Booker T. Which... <laughs> Of course, you know, connection to the attitude era, those would be the only two he expects. He was wondering on the math on Cody Rhodes being Dusty Rhodes' son. Because it's like, well, wait a second. Is he is he like 50 or something? No, it's just that Dusty had a kid later in life, which <laughs> he did not realize. Uh, the one guy, I mean, he 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 uh he was impressed with the size of everybody. He's like, My God, everybody's so big in this. I mean, between Drew Sheamus. Uh, almost uh, Braun Strowman et cetera. He's like, God, these guys are freaking huge, but can they move and stuff? And I told him no. Uh, and you know what? You you want to know who the... Uh, he he did like the Sami Zayn angle uh, at the end. He, he was like, man, that pop was huge. But the guy he was most impressed with, Chris, Logan Paul. He watched Logan Paul in this rumble. And he knows who Logan Paul is. I mean, my, okay. My brother's 46. I think it is. Uh He knows who Logan Paul is from social media and stuff like that, but he saw the buckshot Lariat and he goes, he's really good. Wow. Look at that. And then he did the spot with ricochet, which was, I thought was a fantastic spot.
1: Uh, that was a fantastic, nice
2: John Woo type movie type spot. I I, I really did dig that. It was shot really well too. They yeah. Just, that, that they, they
1: nailed the coverage on that spot too. Like, I I mean. The shot of him, the shot
2: of Ricochet, and then then the wide shot.
1: I mean, that's all
2: they needed to do. And yeah, I mean, I know people, you know, they they love their technical wrestling and stuff like that, but Logan Paul, over the past year, year and a half, is one of my favorite performers to watch because he always, I mean, look, he has the luxury of doing big things in big spots but it's if you're if you're trying more if, talent. Yeah, and and you're and he has the attitude for it. He has he has the charisma for professional wrestling. Uh but yeah, no, my brother was getting like came out talent. going Yeah, yeah, my brother came out going, "Is he going to be a full-time wrestler?" Because I think it suits him cuz he's really good at it. That's what he wants. He wants more Logan Paul, which if you get in the wrestling bubble, and those of us who watched this week after week after week after week, we want less, fewer celebrities, and we want to concentrate on you know technically sound people, et cetera, et cetera. No, people just want the stunt show for the most part.
1: Yeah, uh, I like you're, you're, Logan Paul. I I think you know it's, it's the same thing with like Pat McAfee. Like Pat McAfee yes. has been a nice surprise. It's the thing is, unlike when Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow or Colliding or whatever, like you're having like, like guys like McAfee and Logan Paul actually delivering quality. It's not, you know, five-star stuff or anything like that. You know, I'm, I don't want to see like Logan Paul versus Okada, but these guys actually deliver a much higher value of match than celebs of years past. This is not Dennis Rodman trying to figure out how to wrestle.
2: Um, but overall, the pay-per-view, I actually found both rumbles dull. I gotta be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, they they made Gunther look good. But yeah, a lot a lot of the set pieces fell apart quick. You know, the Kofi set piece. It, it looked like some so guys were just awkward. trying to call it in the ring at times. The women's rumble, really, not a lot to talk about in terms. No, of that. No, and, and it was similarly really
1: booked to the men's yeah. rumble. Just like it, you know, the Iron Person wins. The Iron Heel wins. Like I, I just, they were very uninspired bookings
2: i thought so too that, that that would be a better term for it. uninspired i mean your surprises were booker and you know pat mcafee on commentary <laughs> okay uh,
1: yeah. McAfee was funny he was funny in a lot of different situations
2: the banger brothers he kept yes. bringing that up even though they weren't nope. allowed to
1: yeah yeah no like and i mean you the thing is it's like he always brings out the uh the bad angel in michael colin yes
2: funny. yeah uh, um don't know if Nia Jax is back full time, but that was
1: still Oh, amazing. We can only hope. And here's what I'm hoping, Jeff.
2: <laughs> I want to see
1: Nia Jax and Top Dollar do like a you know, like a little bit of an intergener. Yeah, you feel me? You feel me? Maybe she can join Hit Row. And then we can oh, get. Oh, I was thinking the
2: bloodline, but okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But like, hear me out. Top Dollar, Nia Jax, intergender tag team.
2: No, no. 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 Do no. To me. Okay. All right. And then of course the main event angle, which was tremendous. I mean, even even the match with Owens and Reigns was very, very good. But of course everybody was watching to see Sammy's choice. Sammy hits Roman in the back of the in the back with a chair. Jay Uso's like I backed the wrong horse. And now it's on. Um and that kind of brings me, I'm going to, I'm going to veer off of the ice cold thoughts. I'll come back to your thoughts. If you had any others, do you?
1: Oh, uh, no, I, I want to you, want to talk about the rumble or I'm sorry, the, uh, the main event. Yeah. Okay. So like on that, I, I think the best, I mean, that was an excellent angle. We sort of already kind of covered that and I, I can go into length as to why, but I mean, it, like all the facials and everybody really did a nice job there. I think the Jerry on top for me is Jay Uso because it really brings the whole storyline full circle with like watching watching Roman toy with Sammy and Kevin reminded him of what Roman did to him and his brother. Like well, I think that, it's gonna
2: I think it's gonna pivot to that. I think Roman right. is now gonna abuse Jay for covering right. for Sammy.
1: We're gonna yeah. circle back. No, it's gonna go back full circle to the initial main event Jay Uso angle. Right. Which no, I I, I like that. Yeah, they, they could write this in a simpler way, but I think like for those who have been sort of following this the full way, like Jay's moment was really, really, really earned and like it was all paved subtly. Like, yeah, like Sammy apologizing to Jay right before it, saying, like, I can't basically saying I can't betray my brother like that. And that really resonating with Jay too. Like like I I just think that that moment in particular was uh very strong and yeah. was my favorite moment of the whole thing. As as for as good as Sammy and Kevin were, the the point of Sammy and Kevin was to play in Jay's mind and like the, the sort of like the the tragedy and, and this is why i think like it ends tragically where jay like ends up still like being loyal to the bloodline despite all of this is just that like jimmy couldn't see it either you couldn't see it the same way like jimmy couldn't see what was happening between with kevin and sammy and what roman was making sammy do to kevin as a grander metaphor for what had happened to them a couple of years back when Roman first put this bloodline thing together, the initial blood that was spilt in the cage.
2: I'm going to go to another lazy river point of mine now, <laughs> because I want to piggyback off of this. AEW has no angles with this kind of emotional resonance or depth or moving parts
1: Whatsoever, right now you couldn't possibly explain an AEW angle like no. Like, no um, just,
2: but on the other with hand, or
1: without a drink.
2: On the other hand, WWE has decided it can only have one of these angles because everything else has to be camp or over dramatic garbage or whatever it is. What do we attribute that to? Is that because Vince is back? No. I attribute it to WWE style where it's like the only thing that matters is the main event and everything else can't be. So, well, we, it, we, so we it's not serious
1: often for the last several months since McMahon's departure, that like, he wasn't fully gone, that he was like a shadow kind of looming in the background. Yeah.
2: Uh, but I, I think WWE style is more, Hey, we want people to have fun and just make it light and make it, you know, well, and you what I'm
1: saying is as it stunted the Leveca of the company,
2: uh, I don't know if Levesque has the instincts. I gotta be honest with you. I think that Levesque is. Oh,
1: who do you think was like kind of like doing like kind of like who is giving the final say so on the booking patterns right now?
2: Levesque. Okay. But we get to this Bailey, uh, Becky interaction on Raw, and I hated this Raw. I hate a lot about this Raw. I thought Cody Rhodes had a very good promo, but other than that wasn't a lot that i liked on this raw but this becky bailey promo made me furious because there is a story there with depth that they could be telling right now very very easily that bailey has felt as a part of the you know one of the horsewomen to do this entire you know Get this entire Divas division, you know, into women's wrestling and stuff like that. That she's been passed over a bit and she's had to go heel to be taken seriously on the main roster. And then she decided to recruit a couple of people who have also been overlooked on NXT and come up to help, you know, to help change things, etc. Becky's coming out with this unserious man character where she has to play Stone Cold the entire time as opposed to having any emotional connection to her words. And then Bailey brings up the whole, the only reason Seth Rollins is your husband is because he knocked you up. And we're failing the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test being, you know, you can't have, if you have a scene with two but women. Also
1: like, yeah. Right. There's that. They have to talk like- about
2: a man in some ways where, where all Becky had to do was look at Bailey and go, what happened to my friend? And, and, you know, and hey, I got to do a main event with Rhonda. Sure. Et cetera, et cetera. But that never stopped you from being a star and all these things and and really just kind of having a moment. And instead we're getting the cackling Aunt Pam dressing weirder and weirder by the week, spouting off dumb, cheap heat lines to Becky. And I'm like, this is the problem in both companies, women's, Divisions is that none of these women have any depth whatsoever, and you can at least see in WWE that they have the potential to be able to do an angle with some depth and moving parts in it. It just it I I, I was like, and and none of these women right now look to be in the main event picture for WrestleMania, which is also interesting in its own right for many many reasons. But uh, now, uh, did you have the same sour taste in your mouth as I yeah. did when watching this? Okay, so
1: circling back to the Bechtel thing. It just arrived into my mind that the problem with that is beyond just the Bechdel thing. It's that this the man character is not good. It requires constant overperformance from Becky yes. Yes. all the time. But to have it spotlighted in the most essential way that Becky is a woman deeply undercuts the character kind <laughs> of to the core.
2: A little bit, but, yeah.
1: Yeah, you call yourself the man, and yet. Uh, it, like, it, like it, it's, it was a very, very bad piece of business, and I have gotten very sour on Becky Lynch's the main character. It's, it's, it's only done in bold colors. It is like yes. bold neon green, bold neon orange, bold neon yellow. It, it is never. There's no room for any subtlety. Come on Be- out here,
2: you dope! I'm going to tell you. La, la, la. You know, it's like oh Becky
1: has to, like swing her hips and like kick her legs. It, it's remember when she? It's first- Conor McGregor.
2: I mean, it's- remember
1: when she first started wrestling and she was doing the Irish last thing and was doing yes. like the jiggy kicks, like yes. like she would do the like, jig and then she'd kick him. It's like that level of overperformance only done like in a stone cold character.
2: Yes. I agree,
1: and, and I hate it. It's like really, it's become deeply grating to me, whether babyface or heel. It's just starting to get go away heat. I like her, but I hate this the man character. It's not empowering. It's it's gone so far. Be it, like it's delusional. It comes off as delusional more yeah. than an empowered sort of thing.
2: Yeah, and and that's yeah that that's actually my my big issue is it's a delusional character versus a a tough character. Right. Yeah.
1: This is not a strong character. Like The, the way she says it, it sounds loony.
2: Want to head over and do a preview of NXT Vengeance Day?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, oh, man. Uh, this is certainly one of the many NXT live network events that you'll be able to view on Peacock during the year. And I cannot say much <laughs> more.
2: This is indeed, as they say, a show. Starting with Apollo Cruz versus Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams, two out of three falls match. Is there any other ending other than Trick Williams helping Apollo Cruz or, or Trick Williams helping Carmelo Hayes get that third fall?
1: I, mean, uh, I think, you know, the other ending would be Trick Williams costs Carmelo, and this is the and it's a split. It's, it's a separation of Carmelo from Trick, yeah.
2: All right, I'll... Uh... I'll allow for that. I, I'm not I, saying that's
1: the most likely outcome. You're asking me, is there any other in them? Like that yeah. that's certainly a pathway here. Like you could you could heat Apollo up for like what's the mid card title or whatever? Uh
2: oh the NXT North American title?
1: The North American title, yeah, sure.
2: Well Carmelo I mean Carmelo held that before.
1: <laughs> no, I'm saying Apollo.
2: Oh Apollo, yeah. I mean, yeah, Apollo's gonna be a little bit lost after this, I think, trying to figure out who to heat him up for.
1: Maybe he could join the schism.
0: by going to arena club.com slash VOW net. Again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slap pack, $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net. Arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: I hate that crew so much, <laughs> and I love the grizzled young veterans, and I love Joe Gacy.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's amazing. Like I actually like all three of them, and yet they just—I
2: love they, the parts. I hate the they,
1: ensemble. so bad together. Yeah, oh, it's like my God. it's like three really good musicians that you like coming together and just making the shittiest band. And ever Yoko
2: had. Ono, the rock's daughter.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yoko on Vox.
2: For the tag team, uh, women's tag championship of NXT Katana, Chance and Caden Carter, your champions versus. Hub presents Fallon, Headley and Kiana James with Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen. And probably G the Brazilian secretary. and, and Zach, potentially, whoever Zach is. Yes, yeah, Zach. It's probably gonna be the brother of some kind. But right, yeah, yeah
1: it's gonna be it's gonna be her brother. Yeah. It's gonna be
2: her brother. It has to be. But uh do the unlikely pairing of um of country bar owner who refuses every bit of help to keep the bar afloat and horn incorporated with his title.
1: I don't even know anymore. I like I don't know, I don't don't know. what is match. the off ramp to this story. I know, like I, I can't. The, this story does is the
2: like... virgin lose his cherry after this match? <laughs> There's
1: so many. There are a lot of moving pieces, but like none of them are connected. They're just like loose pieces spinning in the space. You know,
2: Chase this and is... Carter will do their little dance on the way to the ring and. <laughs> See, here's the thing is I actually kind of am starting to enjoy Kiana James's wrestling because she's an absolute Not bad. brick crap house. Yeah. Uh, you know, compared to some of these other women. Like, yeah. I just I'll be interested in this, but God, they're gonna give them the belts. They they're gonna give them the belts for some reason, and then we're gonna just move on with this terrible, terrible story.
1: Uh that that would be the worst thing for Carter and Chance. I you know, Maybe, but I, I, you know, I feel like they do lose here, and that we're we're heading to the off ramp of this story, whatever the hell that's supposed to be.
2: Wesley versus DiJack for the NXT North American title, and DiJack continues to just do a voice from an '80s action movie villain. Uh, Mister
1: Lee, Mr. sir. sir. Ah,
2: <laughs> uh, poor Wesley. Has not been the same since they fired his tag team partner. Poor really, kind of treading water here, in my opinion. Even though he's very, very talented.
1: Jack hasn't been the same since Keith Lee has been gone.
2: That's true too, and he's actually become less likable. <laughs> even though I like, I he like looks the look. Better
1: character is somehow worse.
2: Yes, looks better. Character stinks. That's that's the problem. Back up, Jack. Does Jack get the title here? N- n- no I agree, I think Wesley keeps us, yeah, and we figure out a super match for him somewhere else uh in what is kind of an interesting match in a, what in did summer? you
1: make of the oh backstage promo with von Wagner and Robert Stone that was like hilarious. did you see this
2: I did after I... all these
1: years Vaughn bon, I still don't know who you are, which is like the funniest way for the writing to tell it itself that they've done jack shit to you. You know what that is? You know what that is? We have no
2: characters, Vaughn. I don't know what I'm doing. That's the improv show where five minutes into the scene, one guy looks at the (laughs) other and goes, Who are we to each other?
1: (laughs) It was (laughs) <laughs> such a meta moment of like, yes. this is what is wrong with WWE's product in a nutshell. Is why it, are we
2: like, in this scene together right now? Really what are the writers going to do They actually
1: have it? no idea what they do with one another. I Who
2: wanted down? Von Wagner at that moment to pull a She-Hulk from the Disney series and leap out of the script for NXT and find a, a want somewhere, somewhere on the WWE network where they, we could figure out why the hell von wagner and robert stone are together because they have no idea why they're in the same scene
1: it, just... sa- it says here you're supposed to be some sort of parody of tony khan <laughs> the the aew ceo i very slowly and that is my character
2: oh goodness ah. Uh... The New Day, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods defending their NXT Tag Team Championships versus Gallus, Mark Coffey, and Wolfgang, Pretty Deadly, Elton Prince, and Kit Wilson, and Chase University, Andre Chase, and Duke Hudson with the always, always game Thea Hale. (laughs) It's insane. Uh, Do the New Day keep the titles or do they use this as an excuse to get the New Day back on the main roster?
1: I mean, you got to think the New Day are going to be back on the main roster before WrestleMania. So I think this might be the end of it. But obviously, I don't think the New Day are going to lose their title. I think they're going to have like a gripe, that sort of thing.
2: Okay, who takes it from them?
1: Uh, Maybe Pretty Deadly gets it back after all of this anyways. Yeah, I... I am under easily. the impression
2: that Pretty Deadly's head to the main roster after. Oh,
1: okay, roster. okay, okay. So, so then, then it would be Gallus at that point.
2: Oh, do you? I think Chase University has a chance here to see what the payoff on this Duke Hudson, Andre Chase story is, where they eventually lose it to, I don't know, Briggs and Jensen. Maybe <laughs> because, I don't know, Duke Hudson wants to sleep with the secretary or something. Or...
1: Yeah, well I depending there's a that Briggs and Jensen cast is pretty large. Uh yeah, you got a lot of movies. I parts don't know.
2: To, I I I uh know. but I yeah, I think the New Day, they've done their stint in the minor. I'm going Gallus. I'm going okay. Gallus. The, the, Gallus isn't a bad Gallus. team to do it. I think yeah. Gallus could use it.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
2: I, I do like the Coffee Brothers and Wolfgang. I don't know why. Maybe it's just all the UK that I've been watching. Um for the NXT Women's Championship, a triple threat match between Roxanne Perez, a definitively improved on promos, Gigi Dolan, and of course the always solid JC Jane. Is there any ending other than Gigi Dolan and JC Jane bickering and Roxanne stealing a pin?
1: Yeah, I I I, I don't I don't think so. Um I the this this the I you had to just suspend your brain to make this story make a lot of sense because sort of like, <laughs> why wouldn't one of them just been the other like really?
2: Oh, I assume that's going to be a spot in the match. That,
1: that'll that'll be a spot the like the early deception spot. But like, you know, I, I I don't know. I I this is this is a silly match. I'm not really sure why they booked themselves into this angle. You should have done it with Dolan, or you should have done it with Jane. Uh, uh,
2: Secondary question: Did Roxanne Perez uh, get enough in the Royal Rumble? She was out of there pretty quick to quote unquote protect her, but I don't
1: buy. Yeah, her. yeah. I, I if you're going to bring her up to the main roster, I
2: don't uh, think they're going to. I think it was just one of yeah. those. Hey, we need to fill this out. We put some NXT people in there.
1: I uh, I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't. I don't think the rot, the rumble is as much of a prestige builder. Or I agree. Builder. Yeah, so I don't I don't know that it matters.
2: And then finally, for your NXT championship in a steel cage, Braun Breaker versus Grayson Waller. Who you got?
1: Really? I'm gonna say Waller wins.
2: Huh?
1: Okay. I like. I, I yeah. I I could. I Walden. think it's a
2: more interesting choice. I think we've seen what Braun can do. But I well, think they, gonna... they
1: counted, he's looked so weak throughout this feud. Yes. Right? He's yes. really been booked to look like the underdog. Like he has no business beating Breaker. And especially after that countout loss, I think he finds a way to suck it out. I like his, like, it, there's an escape option from the steel cage,
2: right? I think so. I think yeah. the WWE steel cage. Yeah,
1: if there's an escape I I would say I say Grayson Waller wins it.
2: Okay. I, I you've you've talked me into the he does something to Braun to keep him in the cage and then climbs Absolutely. out type thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that feels that feels right. So that he doesn't get a strong win as a champion.
1: This also protects the Raker. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I think you're right there. That'll do it for previews and reviews. Now on to the rest of the lazy river. Chris, you're up.
1: Okay. So we are now 50 matches into the aspirational title reign of Jade Cargill in which we hope that she becomes a good long form wrestler. And let me tell you, after watching AEW dynamite with red velvet and Jade Cargill, we are going to have to keep dreaming on, people, because it is it, not going to happen. This match, every single spot, every single spot, up to and including the ambitious, and yes, ultimately, pulled off in a way that did not hurt Red Velvet, jaded at the end. Every single spot was clunky. Um, they, they, The timing was bad on it. Form on every single thing did not look crisp. And the bulking around this entire match was really silly. Is Jade Cargill a baby face or a heel?
2: Is Red Velvet a babyface or a heel?
1: <laughs> right. And the way, theoretically, I guess the way I would read the opening to that match is that Red Velvet, having been like someone Jade Cargill has defeated in the past, and then Red Velvet became, well, the Jade Cargill. And then in the end, Jade Cargill still kicked her out of the baddies, I, again, how, (laughs) how do you really morally assess the, if you can't beat them, join them approach of red velvet? I don't know. That's an interesting question for the philosophers, but let's put that aside. Like we get to this moment where red velvet attacks, Jay Cargill from behind and Jay Cargill has been booked. So in between because like, she's not, she's got the kid out there. And, you know, she, like, looks like a champion. So, theoretically, those things, like, sort of play to a baby face. And then everything else about her is pretty much unlikable as a character. Um, and her offense is always, like, bullying and, like, dominating and that sort of thing. And, like, classic sort of heel offense. She doesn't sell or anything. Red Velvet attacks Jay Cargill from behind. And the crowd doesn't know what to do with it. Like, this should be this. If this match is supposed to be hot, this is the 50th match. In Jay Cargill's title reign. We need to believe that Jay Cargill is in peril of losing this belt, which means the only way this spot really works to l- jump the match off hot is if Red Velvet attacks Jay Cargill and the crowd's like, oh, yeah, cool. I want to see Jay Cargill lose. Like, this is like reverse Goldberg. Like, she's on a streak, and we don't want to see her on this streak. Well, here's like,
2: the other problem before, before you go back to it. We never made Red Velvet likable again. Nope. After this turn. Nope. I mean, uh, how could you, you like
1: her for what she did in the first place? Yes. It's, not it's exactly noble that she joined up with Jade
2: Cargill. And she's coming out. She's doing some of the baby face, you know, smiling and winking and things like that. And she's very charismatic at that. But at the same time, she's also yelling things. And you're just like, what are you. She needed to have a come to Jesus promo last week to set her on Friday to set up this match. And it's just one of those things where it's like none of these baddies have a clear, I mean, you want to talk shades of gray. They are little, they're all literally shades of Layla Gray. Yeah. Um, so, just...
1: like, here's the story, right? Like it, I'm going to give you what the story should be here. That what Jay Cargill has been doing over these last 50 matches is she has been creating a thrall around women who are weaker in the division and they sort of all kind of fall under the spell the bullying spell of jade Cargill. and red velvet herself was also a victim of this and she's finally seen the error of her ways and she wants to beat jade cargill once and for all to show that like she's not like some like unbeatable like giant tyrant that we all have to be scared of layla yes like i can do this i can beat them and when once i beat her You'll see. You don't need to follow her. You can do your own thing. Like, I'm doing it for the people, basically. Uh, I'm doing it for all of us. There's something that, like, could actually get people behind essentially wanting, quote-unquote, the baddies to be free of the evil minion. Like, and to that point, what Jake Cargill needs to be doing is bullying people like Hogan and Grey a lot more. Like, the the presentation of Grey relative to Cargill in this match was totally wrong. Like... Cargill needs to constantly be belittling gray. Yeah. She, she needs to be belittled. Like, like, like the baddies, like they're supposed to be out there looking good in the backstage. Like basically Cargill should be berating them for not looking good enough or like not doing a good enough job supporting her. You know, like right. it should always be this thing where like, we don't like the way she talks to them and red velvet's finally standing up for her. That would be something that creates a clear baby phase heel dynamic, which makes for an intriguing match. Otherwise, this is a foregone conclusion. Red Velvet's not been booked in a way; she has no wins coming into this that suggest she's hot enough to go up against Jay Cargill. And like in this, the course of this match, because Cargill doesn't sell like that for anyone ever, she never looks like she's really in big enough trouble to Red Velvet. And like keeping it real, Red Velvet's not quite there to deliver the uh, giant heel imperial sort of like it's not quite there. Not like this. This match, for me, like now we're fifty matches into the Jay Cargo experiment. It's not very good, and, and you know the cannies of the world said, "Let's just see how this plays out," and <laughs> it has played out. People, you brought candy back for the show. Oh Yes, uncle. I did. Well, I came all the way to New Mexico for this. Yeah, you get a T-shirt too. Get out of here. Um, so like they, yeah, no, we we're we're at the you know verdict point here, people. We've seen fifty matches of it. It is what it is, people.
2: I am gonna put over a match you should watch from this week. The main event of Rampage. Emmy Sakura versus Jamie Hayter. This match ruled. They got rid of a lot of the Freddie Mercury isms of Emmy Sakura. She's still wearing the queen getup and she still has a couple of uh People in her court, but there's none of the uh, there's there's none of there's oh. no Queen soundtrack. There's no "We Will Rock You" thing with the. Ch- she and Jamie went in there and chopped the crap out of each other, and Emmy Sakura once again at age 46 is doing the Terry Funk middle age crazy thing, almost as good as Terry Funk did, doing you know uh do, doing moon salts off the top rope and just and just being a badass in the ring and Jamie Hader. They're, they're very inspiring. aren't oh, they? Oh yeah. No. And, 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 and Jamie was giving her just as good. I mean, they were both in pain from the chops because they had welts all over themselves from them. This match banged Chris. I, 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 I was like, this is what I wanted out of Emmy Sakura after watching all these squashes on dark and dark elevation is to give her some credibility as as a badass, and Jamie Hayter was up to the task, too, and these two women threw themselves at one another to just have a great match. I, I actually adored it. Uh, your turn.
1: Let me ask you this. Did you really care, other than the Becky and Bailey thing, Like, was there anything on Raw that captured your attention?
2: Um, Rhea calling out Charlotte was an interesting pivot, because the rumor was it's it was going to be Bianca and Charlotte. The entire time and so now we're going back to that
1: i wasn't I'm, surprised by that so for me like other like i thought the cody promo was good
2: cody promo was uh, very good i thought
1: yeah yeah i uh, yeah no I, nice, nice summary it, it was very cody um it's oh, exactly yes. all yeah, it the just, codyism
2: so what do you want to yeah, talk about you know that kind of uh, thing i mean he has his he has his gimmick
1: let me shoot with you brother uh yeah, like, like it's Really, every time he's shooting with us, uh, and, and everybody really take us, you know, down memory lane. And it, like, look, I think it's good. Cody Mania is going to be a, a perfectly fine storyline.
2: Uh, I um, love Kana, the Kana character, and I loved, yeah. his, I loved creepy PTA Clown Mom in the uh, in the, in the Carmella thing where Oscar just shows up. <laughs> I don't know what this character is supposed to be, but she looks like a, again creepy clown PTA mom. That's what she was going for, and I'm kind of here for it. I'm kind of here for the ascent of Oscar if we're going to give her the Chamber win.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I like that. I, I, look, uh, the repackage of Oscar has been done fairly, you know, like very strong so far. Uh, yeah, you know, like it's a you know out of ten, I'd say like it's a solid seven or eight out of ten. Sort of like. Reheating, restrengthening package, like yeah. You know, that...
2: so, so, so to circle back, then, do you think that Charlotte's the baby face in the Rhea feud?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can Charlotte remain the baby? She, yes. Face? How yes, does she is not the get booed? Is, Right. No. Inevitably, this pivots too. Yeah. No. Actually, we've seen Charlotte win, and like she clearly, the company likes her, and Rhea has not been. You know, man. No, this is. The mistake pick, routinely is making. I think you might have to do a double turn. Yeah, flip, I'm thinking double
2: turn. That's flip, yeah. You flip
1: him. You flip him, Yeah. But,
2: and and it might be,
1: yeah. Judgment Day face after the chambers, or something like that.
2: Well, it might be escalated by the fact that Dominic Mysterio. I, I adored him in the uh, in the Cody promo. Coming out <laughs> like, I should have been the second generation royal family. He's
1: funny. He's good now. I, this
2: character is very entertaining. Yes. It's frightening. <laughs> and, and I thought the Cody, I thought the Cody, uh, Balor match was solid. Yeah. It, yeah.
1: That, that was a great road to WrestleMania sort of match for yeah. the content. No, like, like, Balor was the perfect first opponent. I have
2: no interest in this men's, uh, elimination chamber whatsoever because the stakes aren't high enough. The, the North American title is stupid. And, and Austin Theory holding this title. Like that—that that entire MVP lounge was crap. It was absolutely
1: Stupid. Like his character stinks. He—he just—he's yes. not adding anything ever.
2: Yeah, and again, we said Grayson Waller is a better Austin Theory at this point than Austin Theory.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that will only be borne out as we continue along the road to WrestleMania. Here, Austin I, Theory stinks. I
2: would like to praise another act, Chris. Okay. On this lazy river, both on I believe Dark and also on Dynamite. The outrunners of Truth Magnum and Turbo Floyd. I've mentioned them before. These guys look like the rock and roll RPMs and the fabulous ones had a baby. Their work in the acclaimed squash on dynamite had me in stitches from their scissoring and stuff. They are just pure gimmick and I need them signed, and I need them to do a couple of 80s training montages. I need them to do all the 80s territory stuff just for my own personal amusement. That's what I want, and I want a best of 31 versus FTR between these two teams because they're a very good team as well.
1: Is this Billy Gunn and his son's thing a big swerve to get the belts off of the acclaimed?
2: I think so, I I think think it's going to be disappointing
1: yeah it's this is the betrayal of Billy Gunn like Daddy ass betrays them yet again i we just
2: went through this though that's I
1: the- know I know that's like i I mean I guess maybe you could have the guns betray their father and like beat down their father and beat down the acclaimed like I guess you could do it that way and keep the act together uh but I, this this has been very very circular and whatever this is, I want it to be the end of the road. Between the guns and the acclaimed,
2: there's a possibility they set up another feud. Uh, Yuka Sakazaki was offered a spot in the Dark Order on Dark This Week or Dark Elevation. I can't remember which one. If that leads to Yuka and Maki Ito in a feud, I'm kind of here for that to be honest with you because I love Yuka Sakazaki, she was adorable in this entire angle. Um,
1: no, yeah, yeah, it was. Those, oh. those, uh, yeah, no, I don't worry about
2: it. Oh, okay. I won't worry about that. Um, uh, let me give him one quick hit again. And before that, I thought Excalibur absolutely ruined the Thatcher, uh, Daniel, or Brian Danielson match by basically saying Timothy Thatcher doesn't care about MGF's money. He's just here for a cup co- for the competition. And I'm like, no, he was hired to break his arm. And I, I look, I know I'm a not a fan
1: of this arm storyline. It's it's law, lo- it's getting lost in it. But so. you don't
2: have an Arn Anderson in there who's in there just trying to hurt a guy. You have Tim Thatcher making his mean faces and kind of doing a little bit of grappling with it. But you know, you don't have the killers that you think you'd have in here. And I, I agree. It's one of those things where it's like MJF goes in, berates a heel, heel goes in and has a good match with Brian Danielson. I'm like, I don't want good matches. I want a beatdown of some kind here.
1: Yeah, I I just thought that Thatcher's motivations here needed to be clearer. I hated that. So quickly, after Thatcher loses, we already go to Roosh. I think there needed to be a scene in between here where MJF goes up to Thatcher and treats Thatcher like a piece of crap. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 I, I like... I know some people want like Thatcher to be like mjf's like you know new hired gun or whatever um i I think if what we need to show with mjf is that he uses people okay that when you fail him you you don't you you get punished that that failure means punishment
2: oh okay uh, now that' yeah. be an, that'd be an interesting wrinkle because you're right there are no i mean and there weren't it for is. the five uh for the five tests of Jericho either there was no Pay off for failing, really. It was just, I'm bringing in these guys type of a thing. Um,
1: and that gives you options with Thatcher, too. It, it, like, it makes what you want to do with Thatcher the next time around more open-ended as well. But, like, I think the big missing piece of the puzzle with MJF has been menace and, like, unlikability If anything right now. MJF's bringing us great wrestlers every week, and they're having great matches. Who yes. doesn't like that? That's neat. No, what we need is—if you feel that way, if that's your vibe, baby—then uh, what needs to happen is MJF needs to hurt your great wrestlers afterwards, and you need to hate him for it.
2: He uses them. He's such a piece of crap. You need to like. Not I like this. Like this guy. I like this this idea because it, it, you're you're absolutely correct. What what's happening is. Brian, Brian Danielson gets to have great matches with these guys who are supposed to be pieces of crap who are being hired to hurt him. And you need to get back to the fact that, yeah, oh, it was a very good match. No, I I want people to hate MJF and I want to be excited for this match coming up type of thing. No, I think I think you got something there. I, I yeah, like Right now he's
1: that. a dream match promoter.
2: Yes, pretty much.
1: <laughs> thank, thank you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Brian I, 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 Danielson
2: I, 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 in vanity project or something. It's like, okay, whatever. Uh, you're up. Ah, uh, oh
1: man! I'm like, all right. What have we not touched on on AEW other than the main event here between uh Darby, Darby and Samoa Joe?
2: I think that's do... that's my last point in my rundown that I have. So then, then go
1: then for, it. for it, my man.
2: I liked a lot about this match. In fact, it was the only thing I really liked on Dynamite, other than like the backstage view. Because look, I like the. To catch the match it was fine I mean they were all well worked <laughs> story, and I kind of like you know Moxley and, and Paige wasn't bad it was just one of those things where I was like I thought they ran it back too quick and I wanted to see a fight where a wrestling match broke out type of a thing because of the angle but I loved Darby coming out in the, in the jacket of thumbtacks My problem Uh, The
1: visual of the jacket and thumbtacks was excellent. Yes, Uh,
2: my my problem is they didn't tell the story that they needed to tell with Darby Allin. And and this belt and this reign did not elevate him in any ways. They did it almost for the cheap pop in Seattle, and they moved on, which is driving me nuts because there was a story here to tell, especially with him taking the title to, to Japan and having these banger after banger matches. I know Taz hates hearing that, but it's the truth while he was defending him and that is that darby's style is wearing down on him and eventually he's gonna get caught now they said it in passing on the commentary i am well aware of that but they didn't tell us the story and in essence the story that they did tell is that darby allen whose reckless abandon was there, decided he just wanted to do a vanity spot where he spent five minutes tearing apart the ring and he got beat because he was an idiot. That's the story they told. And you're just like, well, okay, if Darby is one of your pillars, if Darby is a guy that you want to build the foundation of your company on...
3: He needs so, to be beating
1: Samoa Joe. and
2: He needs to I'm be sorry. beating Samoa Joe for for this title and to uh, continue to build this How,
1: team what, What's title. Samoa Joe? 45, 46?
2: Uh, Yeah, something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. no, Darbyon needs to be beating Samoa Joe.
2: And instead we're just going back to Wardlow and Samoa Joe. Going back to that well again. I, presumably, probably to run Hobbs in another three-way between the three of them. So we're just going to have a repeat of that feud. That's just what it feels like. Yeah, but you know, Jeff, at least they're having great matches. Yeah. It's that's it's long term storytelling. Yeah,
1: right. I, I it's not enough to keep me warm at night. No, like, like like that that's the thing is it's like, okay, yes, this was actually a very good match. And if you like, you know, look at the aggregate of the matches they had, all good. Was the story any good? Did it no. Darby Allen? No. And then, like, is it going to any place you're really interested in? Oh, it's Samoa Joe and Wardlow again. Can't wait. Bring it to me, baby. Uh, get me there.
2: And another uh, heatless feud, probably up until the, you know we'll we'll you know we'll have a, a couple of back and forths where Wardlow destroys some security geeks, and then and then we'll have the the mean guy match at the pay per view. But it,
1: you know, nice matches in service of meh storylines. Yes, and that is being generous.
2: Yes, and that and that's my problem is I. I have this argument over at Fight Game because those users are like, "I just want to see great wrestling." And 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 Gran Akuma, who I talked to as well, he's like, "I'd rather be a fan of the company with the great matches versus the great acting." And I, I, I get the points, but wrestling when it becomes popular isn't popular because of the great matches. It's it's popular because of violence, and it's and it's popular because of the heat that the feuds are building you know, people copy the promos, people copy, you know, the beatdowns, people copy the angles. You know what? They don't copy. Like they don't like... copy, you know, suplex. I mean, they do, but I mean, they don't, no, nobody's no, going to say, know... Hey, you want to go out and play and do hangman versus Omega. <laughs> right. Cause, cause that like,
1: you also can't you know, do that in your backyard too. But like, I, right. I think of like, WCW Nitro 96 formula, like on the best episodes is sort of being the template, right? The first hour, the first hour is mostly good matches. And the second hour is the big angles that really sort of capture the attention and capture the imagination. And like that, it's still at the, the top of the card is the story stuff. If you don't have like a good hot main story that, you know, is coherent and, Initially, the, the NWO was sort of a coherent storyline. It stopped being at one point, and, and that's when the show started getting
2: bad. Yeah, and let, I mean, in terms of coherent storylines, let's take a look at some of them. I mean, the women right now, uh, Ruby goes in there, gets blown off by Brit. But then again, Ruby's opening line was, "You good as if, as if that's caring or anything. And it's all revolved around
1: <laughs> Ruby <laughs> Ruby texts sup to people. On sup, yes. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, and this whole thing is revolving around, you know, a company that didn't want half of these performers anymore and people wanting to form clicks based on their association with a company that mistreated them. And you have Britt, who is the eternal heel, but is getting cheers. So she's actually the baby face here. It's it's more of that baddies, unclear motivation type thing. I, I don't buy the homegrown versus outsider gimmick at all. Because I don't think it helps the division any and won't help the people who lose this feud. So, I I mean, you have MJF and Brian Danielson. That story is fairly clear but the tag team story is retracing footprints again. You, I mean, it, it's Joe, no,
1: but I, like the, the Danielson, they're all repetitive, right? Like that's the big issue. Um Like, I, I guess you could say the WWF versus AEW, like little mini WCW versus NWO feud is intriguing. I don't know. Ruby Rojo is, like, the Sting character. Is this really, like, super exciting? Boy, is she going
2: to be coming from the roof now? Yes. You no, know, baseball no. Baseball
1: bad. No, this is totally what I want to have happen. She needs to get, like, Lex Lugard.
2: You know what a great I, idea is? We could have oh, Ruby Soho leave for a year.
1: <laughs> oh, no. She, like, disappears for a month, and then, yeah, she reappears from the roster. Like, this has to be done like community theater NWO. That's exactly what that bad angle is. And then you have... <laughs> <laughs> And then you have the main event angle, which yeah, like, okay, it's coherent. The FJF is injuring Danielson. So Danielson goes into the Iron Man match, not 100%. So that at the end, you know, like he can't be iron. Right. But like, it, it's really repetitive. And that's also the same thing that happened here with Darby Allen and Samoa Joe for the TV title and whatever other title was on the line at various points here. And now he's circling back to Wardlow. Like the, there's just this like repetitive nature to AEW booking and it, it just doesn't forgive away like sort of like like good matches can't forgive that away for me I'm not excited to see the next story because I'm not not, you know a a well
2: choreographed match where everybody's really smooth it just doesn't it doesn't get me off as a wrestling fan I'm sorry and I know that's weird I like the heat I like I like feeling like the two guys in the ring hate each other you know those are the things that that get me that's That's why I don't think that Danielson can beat MJF, right? Like, Like, at the
1: end of all of this, I just still don't think that Danielson can beat MJF. They have gotten so lost in the arm injury angle because they started it so early. Like, we still have, like, what, three weeks before that match? Is it three or four?
2: I think we're on week four of this no the:
1: No how many more no, I'm saying how many more weeks until the match between uh, them I,
2: I believe the it's thing March, is: he right? has to, Well, no, he has to win all his matches through February eighth, so next week is the last match he has to win.
1: okay, so and and that's Roche Yes, like that that's that's weird and then and then if he did that, then they'd be having the match in March.
2: Yes, and what's going to happen
1: is... You have Danielson get the arm injured in the last match before, like, the... Qual- so, like, he wins the qualifying match, right? Like, the, the much more coherent, like, pattern with this would be Danielson is running through all of these guys. Like, MJF keeps getting, like, these assassins, and Danielson's just, like, mauling them. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, Danielson hasn't looked this dominant since 2013. And he gets to that last match before the qualifying match. MJF is, like, furious that all these people are failing him. He sends in Thatcher because, like, these guys are, you know, like, just, like he at least thinks that Thatcher can do some damage and maybe is his best last chance of defense. And then Thatcher does manage to injure Danielson's arm. Like, you can even, have, if you want to protect Thatcher, you can have some sort of deal where, like, MJF says to Thatcher, "Like I want you to hurt something. I want you to break something on it." And, and Thatcher does manage to pull that off, but Danielson man- still manages to prevail. And then you have three weeks of injured Danielson going into MJF. This is so much cleaner than what we've had here, where like Danielson's arm's been injured, but like Thatcher should have been like the guy who like made it hanging on by a thread.
2: Here's my fear. My fear is the story they're gonna tell is this: Danielson wins all his matches going into the pay-per-view. Right. MJF loses the title eliminator next week versus takeshda And so what we get is, see, I won all my matches. You lost yours. You're not a real wrestler.
1: Oh, it's WWE momentum. You could yes. also, yeah, like, like, like this is essentially a momentum feud. It, like, not enough. It's in the, it's, yes. ironically, the story here is in the matches. For all these people who talk about they have a great match all the time. Like the story here is supposed to be the Daniels and in these great matches is dominating these great opponents in a great way. Like yeah. this should be flashback to 2013, baby. Yeselmania all over again.
2: Yeah. He should have murdered uh, Timothy Thatcher.
1: Yeah. No, he should have been murdered. I think like cage. Come on.
2: Yeah. Should've, should've,
1: I, I should've agree. He should have been crying and like begging, like begging off. From Danielson, yeah, like 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 this this man should look like a world killer and have at, at like you know at forty one or whatever. And that's
2: is. why MJF is scared, and that's why yep. he's continuing to get these assassins. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. I think that'll do it for Shake Them Ropes. You can follow me on Twitter because I'm still there at Crap Game Thirteen, and just follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. That account updates every time we release an episode. Chris is over on the gram. Doing yeah. uh, at Doctor the word Doctor underscore Nov uh, Vanity music plugs and you know flooring and cats uh, yeah. and things I'm, I'm, like that. I'm
1: proud of my flooring. I'm I'm, pa- I'm proud of my cats. Proud of my uh, music. So yeah. it's a it's a proud account, and you can follow me on Twitter at Disco Inferno.
3: Uh,
2: I do another show called the dynamite show. It uh, records about 10 minutes after dynamite goes off the air and uploads about an hour and a half after, uh, after it goes off the air. Um, uh, we're over at fight game media, com slash fight game media, five bucks a month gets you all the shows over there. And we are part of the voices of wrestling broadcasting network shows for every single kind of niche fandom in wrestling. If you're a fan of music, music in the mat with our friend Andrew Rich. The flagship, of course, with Joe and Rich. And we got a lot of riches in here. And yeah, uh, And of course, things like Open the Voice Gate, uh, Days of Thunder covering the WCW, uh, Thunder Days, et cetera, et cetera. Encourage all of you to give them a listen on all your podcasting networks everywhere. Chris also has uh ways to make money in a side hustle. He's gonna tell you about them now.
1: Yeah, you want to, like, learn guitar or bass or drums? Do you? Well, you, you can. I can teach you. You you can go into the Instagram, Dr. Doctor, D-O-C-T-O-R underscore N-O-V, and I'll teach you how to play music. You, you, too, can play guitar. Is that it? That's it. That's all I
3: got. That's you know, what 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 else what, what, what,
2: what we'll right? see you next week.
3: hey, everybody. my name is Jesse Collins, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. on the Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro-wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro-wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more.